Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday, September 7th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the host nation of the ASEAN Summit says Southeast Asian countries seek new avenues for cooperation with China. European officials say last month was the hottest August on record globally. In Syria's foreign ministers attended an Arab League meeting for the first time in over a decade. In business, China's foreign trades remain stable through the year so far. In sports, details for the Hangzhou Asian Games torch relay. In culture and entertainment, a laboratory protecting China's irreplaceable cultural relics. Now the day's top stories. Indonesia's foreign minister says Southeast Asian nations are seeking new avenues for cooperation with China to help promote regional stability. The remark comes in response to Chinese Premier Li Chung's address at the China ASEAN Summit in Jakarta. Spokesperson Tiku Faisasia underscored the importance of ASEAN and its close ties with other countries in the region. There are potential for ASEAN-China to uh, further uh, increase the relations. If you follow the ASEAN plus China meeting uh, yesterday, I think quite clear that uh, there is a lot of expectation from the two sides for the continuous engagement uh, and a positive positivity of the tone of the discussions. If you compare in many other regional organizations, there is no such uh, opportunities for countries from the East Asia to, uh, to get together and explore issues, including countries away from the regions who have interest for peaceful and stability within the region. So with all the good intention, we do hope this is one of the forums that contribute for peace and stability in ASEAN and wide regions. China's premier also attended an ASEAN Plus 3 summit where he urged Asian countries to act in the overall interest of peace and development in Asia and further promote regional economic integration. China spent many years working with ASEAN countries to improve health care. A hospital in Guangxi, which borders Vietnam, has set up online clinics and sent medical teams to assess health conditions in these other countries. Wang Zihang has more. Many elderly individuals in Laos have endured prolonged periods of blindness due to severe eye ailments. Upon the arrival of a medical team from China, they received treatment and regained their sight. Team leader Zhou Wenjin says the patient's conditions are more complex and challenging compared to those he encountered in China. It's quite surprising. I never knew how tough it is for the local people here to regain their eyesight from cataracts. If we didn't come, they might not have had much hope of seeing again. Even though we've done lots of surgeries back home, it's really hard here. Many of them have been blind for decades, which makes the surgeries even more complex. In two weeks, Zhou's team successfully performed surgeries on more than 150 patients. The oldest patient was 97 years old. Zhou says the most moving part was when the elderly individuals expressed their gratitude after seeing the light. These people lived in very difficult conditions without sight. Following the surgery, the very next day, they could see. The heartfelt gratitude they expressed with hands joined in thanks showed me how meaningful this work really is. Zhou and his team have also collaborated with local medical workers to discuss the cases they encountered and give treatment advice. The first affiliated hospital of Guangxi Medical University, where Zhou worked, has launched 10 projects to promote more medical cooperation between China and ASEAN nations. One of these initiatives is an online clinic platform available in eight languages, which aims to help people from ASEAN countries access medical resources and treatment options in China. Hospital director Chen Junqiang explains. 
We have noticed a growing need for medical guidance and management in ASEAN countries. Using an internet-based platform, medical workers from those nations can share CT scans and patient data, especially for complex cases requiring further consultations. Our expert team can then remotely review the information and provide consultations through this platform. Meanwhile, doctors from China and Vietnam are working together to write a book about how to treat common surgical diseases. Chen says China and ASEAN countries have been creating opportunities for more medical collaboration, such as international medical student education and resident physician training. For the Beijing Hour, this is Wang Zihang. Chinese Ambassador to Indonesia Liu Kang says the Belt and Road Initiative aims to promote the development of participating countries through enhancing connectivity. He also highlights the benefits of the Belt and Road, including growing investment in GDP. According to the statistics promulgated by the World Bank, ever since the launch of the cooperation, BRI cooperation, partners participating in this framework already saw some 4% of increase in the trade volume, some 5% increase in the inbound FDI, and that also raises, increases the GDP growth by the low-income countries participating in BRI by some 3.5%. More than 150 countries and 32 international organizations have signed up for cooperation since Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed the Belt and Road Initiative 10 years ago. The Karat hydropower plant in, uh, or project rather in Pakistan is a major project under the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor and the first large-scale hydropower investment under the BRI. Cao Chufeng takes us there to uh, see how it's transformed the region. And now at Kairot Hydropower Project, it's now been put into use for more than one year. And statistics shows it can meet the electricity demands of more than 5 million local people. It's also a well-integrated project of the general plan of Pakistan that tries to upgrade its energy system into one that's more reliant on renewable resources. Statistics shows right now one-fifth of electricity demand in Pakistan are met by using coal. And majority of these are imported from overseas, increasing the use of um, renewable resources. Not only it would help protect the environment, it also means uh, maximum use of local resources and reduce costs. And now another thing I find very interesting uh, while staying at Kairot is how this project has transformed the livelihood as well as the local economic dynamic in nearby area. Amit Hainan at the Karod Hydropower Project. He's a trainee engineer who's only worked here for about two months. But as a resident from a nearby village, he's known about the project for much longer. They came there and first told uh, the local people that we are going to build a dam here. First of all, nobody was believing that uh, uh, they are going to make a dam. So after three, two or three months, we realized that this was really going to happen. Is going to change the fate of this area, and it really did. The dam ultimately influenced Hainan's choice of career. He decided to pursue electric engineering as his major and came to work at Karot. Many others also found jobs here through a program that prioritizes jobs for local people. There are a lot of unemployment here in our area. So first of all, the, the Crot Hydropower Project change is that uh, they converted unemployment into employment. They gave employment to almost um, a thousand and above people in local area. Hainan's village is only about five kilometers away from the Karod Hydropower Project, and there are a few villages like his near the site. As promised, the project has introduced several charity programs to the villages, and also, most importantly, it has attracted more job and business opportunities for local people. Hainan introduces me to his uncle, who manages a restaurant owned by the whole family. He says the Karot Hydropower project has increased customers, turning the humble restaurant into the large one seen today. Before the initiation of the project, we did not have many customers. But as the project began and construction started, we saw many customers. The project brought prosperity to the area. 
The Karut Hydropower Project has also built bridges and schools in nearby villages, helping to boost development in the local area. That was Tsao Chufang on a BRI project in Pakistan, changing the lives of local people. Coming up, last month set a global heat record for the month of August. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Ten minutes past the hour. Well, last month was the hottest August on record globally. The European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Panel says it's the third straight month the temperatures have set such records. August is estimated to have been 1.5 degrees Celsius hotter than the pre-industrial average. Many parts of the world have suffered extreme weather, with places including Brazil and Italy being pounded by torrential rain and floods, and others such as Canada and Spain fried in wildfires. Meteorologists say it's time to stop treating climate change and pollution separately. Owen Faircloth has more. From heat wave upon heat wave to floods and wildfires, it's been a turbulent and unprecedented summer in large parts of the world. Earth just had its hottest three-month period on record. Global sea surface temperatures are unprecedented. Antarctic sea ice is unprecedentedly low for this time of year. That's according to the latest data from the European Union, which found temperatures in June, July and August were nearly 17 degrees Celsius or 62 degrees Fahrenheit above average. But it's also been wet with record rainfall in parts of Australia, Brazil, Chile and the US and drier than usual, leading to wildfires, including a record number across Canada whose effects were felt as far away as Europe. It's all created a potent atmospheric cocktail contributing to climate change. And given the correlation between pollution and climate change, some scientists say it's time for authorities to think differently. Air quality and climate change should be studied not a separate subject, but should be studied together. They are inseparable in the sense that many of the gases that are responsible for climate change are also um, emitted by the same sources that cause air pollution. The United Nations is calling on countries to use forthcoming multilateral forums like the G20 to accelerate efforts to stop irreversible climate change. That was Owen Faircloth reporting. African leaders say they're ready to take action to curb climate change, but will need some help. Uh, they wrapped up the continent's first climate summit with the Nairobi Declaration calling for climate justice and new models of financing. Daniel Ratmoy has more. The Nairobi Declaration highlights major challenges and opportunities for a more equitable climate regime. It provides African countries with a platform to make a strong case for support at the forthcoming COP28 meeting to be held in the United Arab Emirates. At the summit, we've clearly heard from Africa that its priority is to pursue an accelerated transition it's just an equitable transition to a renewable energy, climate resilient future. We convey a clear and resounding message to African nations, the African Union and their linked institutions. The voices of African women should never be an afterthought. The declaration states that increased support to Africa should be based on the continent's priorities like adaptation and financing. It highlights the need for a clear financial architecture for climate change with fair governance and simplified access procedures. It further stresses the need for African countries to take hard decisions and make uncomfortable changes to set international consensus on an Afrocentric and globally inclusive path into an African future. The leaders unanimously agreed that their efforts to achieve prosperity will not succeed if there are no opportunities for the youth. The Nairobi Declaration is intended to define a common position among the 54 African countries that are involved in the climate change negotiations. That was Daniel Aratmoy on Africa's appeal for joint efforts to tackle climate change.
Brazil's announced financial support to municipalities that have reduced deforestation rates in the Amazon rainforest the most. President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva says they're going to allocate 120 million U.S. dollars from the Amazon Fund in 2025 to municipalities that are considered priorities in the fight against deforestation and forest fires. The funds will be allocated to projects presented by the municipality itself. These funds will be essential for environmental land regularization projects, monitoring and control of deforestation, fires, and sustainable production activities. The president also signed the creation of two indigenous territories, the network of conservation areas next to the indigenous Yananami territory to act as a buffer against invaders, mostly illegal gold miners. Data shows deforestation in the Amazon fell 66% in August to its lowest level for the month since 2018. The figures the first eight months or in the first eight months fell a cumulative 48% from the same period of 2000. 22. Deforestation contributes to half of the greenhouse gas emissions in Brazil. The country committed to reducing carbon emissions by 37% by 2025 under the 2015 Paris Agreement. Residents in Taiwan have staged protests against Japan's discharge of nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima power plant. Uh, they also question claims by the Democratic Progressive Party authorities that the impacts are negligible. The act, which damages human society and marine ecosystems and threatens the conditions for human coexistence, violates the principles of public welfare and justice. Such an act is highly domineering and is a crime. It is widely known that the cancer incidence rate among residents of Fukushima is 118 times higher than in other areas. As victims, Taiwan residents have the most say. Today we stand up and urge the Democratic Progressive Party to completely ban the import of nuclear-contaminated food from Japan. We also call on our people to avoid seafood products polluted by nuclear radioactive water. In an online poll of over 50,000 people, more than half said they'd not eat Japanese seafood. Venezuela has been suffering blackouts during a long-running energy crisis, but solar energy has emerged as a practical solution. Mary Trini Menya has the story. The electricity just went out, and it's time to turn off all kitchen appliances at Marilyn Gonzalez's home. Sudden blackouts have damaged several of her electronic devices. Power outages have become frequent across Venezuela, and especially in Maracaibo, for over a decade. We don't know if it is going to last two or three hours or four. Over the last few weeks, power cuts have lasted between three and four hours. An aging electrical grid, underinvestment and corruption are among the main causes of the power failures, according to experts. In 2019, a nationwide blackout left most Venezuelan cities in the dark. For a week, more than 200,000 power outages affected the country in 2022 alone. The crisis has pushed many people to look for solutions, and they are turning their eyes to other sources of energy. Some are looking up, finding an answer in the sun. Augusto Pradelli is an entrepreneur and former race car driver. He combined his knowledge and creativity to fight the scarcity of gasoline and electricity affecting his country. Three years ago, the 63-year-old inventor came up with the idea of solar and electric powered cars. So far, he has developed seven prototypes, transforming all golf carts and using recycled materials. We are an oil-producing country and we have a scarcity of gasoline, so there's nothing more contrasting than going to the other way around, going in the opposite direction. And what is the other element that we have as a gift that costs us nothing? The sun, the solar energy. Pradelli's cards can reach speeds of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Some of his models use two photovoltaic panels. It takes 24 hours to charge them, and they can run for up to eight hours or as long as there's solar radiation available. They serve as an energy-efficient mode of transportation. Maracaibo, commonly known as the beloved land of the sun, 
has great solar energy potential, an area where there is large concentrations of bright sunshine all day long. In Sulia State, we have a constant radiation of almost 4,000 watts per square meter. That means that we can take advantage of solar energy to transform that into electrical generation. Solar panels are gaining popularity throughout the city. Some local malls have installed photovoltaic panels in an effort to keep their businesses open. And the Maracaibo municipality is testing solar power traffic lights and offering free charging stations at public squares. A ray of light is giving hope to Venezuelans who wish to come out of the darkness. That was Mary Trini Menya on harnessing the power of the sun to solve the energy crisis in Venezuela. Some students in the United States have a new curriculum this school year. Schools and teachers find themselves in the middle of a debate over how race and racism should be taught at American schools. Some argue that classrooms are not offering true accounts of history. Tony Waterman finds out more. Of all the subjects taught in American schools this year, it's history that's under the microscope, especially in Florida. In July, the state's school board approved a new set of guidelines for how black history is taught in public schools. This benchmark clarification requires teachers to discuss how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. To say that um, blacks learned something out of slavery wherein they had been tortured, maimed, killed, separated from their families, I think it's just absurd. Politicians need to get out of our classrooms. Uh, teachers have the right to teach and they have the right to teach honest history and our students deserve the right to have honest and comprehensive history. The new requirements in Florida are part of a larger nationwide movement against so-called woke culture. Shame on you! Some parents believing the public school system is being used to indoctrinate their often white children with liberal ideas a belief spearheaded by Florida governor and Republican presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis. At least 25 mostly Republican-led states now have restrictions on how teachers can talk about race, racism, gender, and bias in K-12 classrooms. And according to a report by the RAND Corporation, a quarter of educators say they've already altered the instructional materials they choose and how they teach. Long-standing policies about race are also under threat in higher education. Earlier this summer, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down affirmative action, barring colleges and universities from considering a person's race during the admissions process. The oldest son of civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. says the new laws are an attempt to push history out of the American system. All of this history is, is, is revisionist history. Uh, you have issues where hate and hostility and bigotry is at an all-time high. It may, it certainly existed in 1963, but it is metastasized to something that we're not familiar with. A warning that if the next generation doesn't know their true history, they could be doomed to repeat it. That was Tony Waterman on education over racism in the United States. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Syria's back in the fold with the Arab League. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 24 minutes past the hour. The Arab League Council meeting of foreign ministers has seen the first Syrian presence in over a decade. Syrian Foreign Minister Faisal Mekdad attended the 160th session of the League in Cairo. Egyptian Foreign Minister Sama Shokri says the return of Syria to the Arab League is of great significance. This return facilitates a more efficient Arab role in assisting our brothers in Syria in overcoming their current crisis, which lasted for more than a decade and filled our hearts with grief. We have emphasized in the decision of the reinstating of Syria on the importance of preserving its sovereignty, the unity of its land, its stability and regional safety. 
Readmission of Syria to the Arab League was one of the issues discussed at the meeting. Other issues included the conflict between Palestine and Israel, the conflict in Sudan, and the dispute between Egypt and Ethiopia over the construction of a dam on the Nile River. Uh, the Arab League agreed in May to reinstate Syria, ending a 12-year suspension. Gabon's military junta says President Ali Bongo Ndemba is free to move about and can seek medical help abroad. The ousted president's been under house arrest since the coup that came after his election win last month. The junta has sworn in its leader, Bryce Oligwe Nguema, as transitional president. The general commander of the Sudanese Armed Forces has issued a constitutional decree ordering the dissolution of the paramilitary RSF. The Sovereign Council says the decision was based on the RSF's rebellion against the state, the violations committed against citizens, and the deliberate sabotage of the country's infrastructure. The Sudanese parliament passed a law in 2017 affiliating the RSF with the Sudanese army. Uh, Egypt has resumed direct commercial flights to Sudan. The first aircraft from Egypt Air landed in Port Sudan from Cairo this week. The city on the Red Seas remained relatively unaffected by the conflict between the Sudanese army and the RSF. Anastasia Wawiru has more on uh, what economists and those in the aviation industry are saying. Sudan reopened its airspace in the east of the country in mid-August. This was to present alternative navigation for air traffic. Clashes between Sudan's army and paramilitary rapid support forces led to the closure of the nation's airspace in April. Humanitarian aid and evacuation flights had been the exception until now. Egypt Air will become the first international company to operate regular flights with Sudan. The flights will continue in the coming period in light of the directives of the political leadership headed by President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who always gives directives to activate the historical ties between Egypt and Sudan. The first flight departing from Cairo to Port Sudan had over 100 passengers on board. Authorities say Egypt's national carrier Egypt Air will now operate a weekly round trip to and from Port Sudan. Some companies applied for permission to Port Sudan Airport to land and take off from Port Sudan Airport, including Egyptian Airlines, which submitted to the Civil Aviation Authority summer schedules according to the global system that ends on October 31st and winter schedules after November 1st until March 2024. Air transport movement, as long as there is movement of people back and forth, is linked to the expansion of services, and this means new job opportunities for those working in the field of tourism, hotels, food services, coffee and tea, all of which will certainly increase and thus more job opportunities. The resumption of flights comes after Sudan's army chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, met with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Their talks in the Egyptian city of El Alamein marked the first trip abroad for Burhan since conflict erupted in Sudan's capital, Khartoum. That was Anastasia Wariru on the resumption of flights between Egypt and Sudan. We're at 28 minutes past the hour now. Beijing's at 23 degrees overnight. Thunder showers and a high of 30 tomorrow. Chongqing's at 27 this evening, then sunny in 37. Last is down to 10 degrees, then overcast in 22. Hong Kong has showers in 27 this evening, thunder showers and 30 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 23 this evening. It'll get a light rainfall and 29 on Friday. Islamabad's 23 tonight, then sunny in 37. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then thunderstorms in 33. Three. In Africa, Nairobi's getting showers in 25. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 21 this evening, then scattered showers in 26 degrees. Auckland's 9 overnight, then sunny in 17. Port Vila is mostly cloudy in 27 Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the host nation of the ASEAN Summit says Southeast Asian countries seek new avenues for cooperation with China. European officials say last month was the hottest August on record globally. And Syria's foreign ministers attended an Arab League meeting for the first time in over a decade. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. Oh, oh, oh. 
We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An additional General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International the Monetary Foundation. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 ，or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人。There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's foreign trades remain stable through the year so far. In sports, we have details for the Hangzhou Asian Games torch relay. In culture and entertainment, a laboratory protecting China's irreplaceable cultural relics. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtn radio.、Uh, first of all, though, checking the day's headlines. Here's Ju Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Delegations from China and Australia have met in Beijing for a high-level di- dialogue. It's the first time the dialogue has been held since 2020. China says both sides have common goals, and Australia says it wants to stabilize relations. U.S. federal prosecutors are planning to seek a grand jury indictment of the son of President Joe Biden before the end of this month. Hunter Biden is accused of possession of a firearm while being a drug user. Prosecutors are also investigating Hunter's business dealings. The Presidential Election Tribunal of Nigeria has rejected challenges by an opposition rival to President Bola Tinubu's victory in the February vote. Judges have dismissed all claims by Labour Party candidate Peter Obi. Media reports say the complaints included fraud, charges that the, le- the electoral authority broke the law, and allegations that Tinubu was not eligible to run. The election results on February the 25th. Showed Tinubu had won 37% of the vote. Obi and People's Democratic Party candidate Atiku Abubakar asked the court to invalidate the election, alleging irregularities. Some residents in Lagos say people are complaining because the candidates are supposed to act as Democrats. Look at what is happening. They are already looking like they are already sounding like even in the judiciary. Right now, it's ongoing, even in the judiciary. They are already acting like rulers. If it is Tinubu, then no problem. If it is Obi, no problem. But I know there is no way they can take it to Tinubu with Tinubu because it's all glaring that we know what is going on in this country. That there is no how. Obi and Abubakar can appeal to the Supreme Court to strike down the tribunal ruling. The appeal must be concluded within 60 days of the date of the tribunal judgment. Tinubu took office at the end of May and has introduced a series of reforms, hoping to put the economy back on track. A cyclone in southern Brazil has caused the rain-triggered floods in dozens of cities. The storm has killed more than 30 people and left over 1,600 homeless. Local resident Marcos Antonio Gomez says it's the fourth time in 15 years that his house has been damaged by floods. The water came very quickly. It was rising two meters an hour, and we were here. We started to take some of the furniture and put it on the second floor to try to save it, and we got out very quickly. I think it was about five o'clock in the afternoon. We already left with the water taking the cars and what it found. It was quick. Search and rescue efforts are focused around the Taquari Valley. More heavy rains are expected. Authorities are maintaining flooding alerts for three rivers. 
The first Africa Climate Summit has adopted a declaration that outlines the continent's climate agenda. The Nairobi Declaration includes the push for climate justice and the new models of climate financing. Kenyan President William Ruto says the summit sought reform of the global financial system that forces African countries to pay more to borrow money and fall deeper into debt. We also made it clear that we are aware of the unjust configuration of multilateral institutional frameworks that perpetually place African nations on the back foot through costly financing, which plunge our economies into debt trap and deny them resources needed to mitigate and adapt in response to climate change, invest in energy transition, and facilitate industrialization to create jobs and wealth and to reduce inequality. The president called for a just multilateral development finance architecture to liberate African economies from odious debt and onerous barriers to necessary financial resources. He said the declaration lays a foundation for Africa's negotiations at the the upcoming UN Climate Ambition Summit and COP28. The summit called on world leaders to rally behind a global carbon tax on fossil fuels, aviation and maritime transport. Officials from the UN Environment Programme say many African countries still lack enough money to implement their plans to respond to climate change. Moscow's ruling party has named former Mexico City Mayor Claudia Sheinbaum as its candidate for the presidential election next year. Today, democracy won. Today, the people of Mexico decided, and I am the national coordinator to defend the transformation based on the people of Mexico's decision. This work is teamwork. For this reason, I say we all need each other. Sheinbaum beat out five other contenders in a polling process organized by the National Regeneration Party. She won each of the five polls, averaging about 39% of the vote. The announcement came days after an alliance of opposition parties named Senator Sergio Galvez as the presidential candidate. The Institutional Revolutionary Party in the broad front for Mexico backed her to help her secure the candidacy. And thank you very much for the update. That was Ju Tianlu report. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's foreign trade has remained stable through the year so far. It's credited as the most successful and vibrant model for cooperation in the Asia-Pacific region. But it also faces enormous challenges ahead if a code of conduct cannot be signed in due time. Join me, Tuyun, for a close look at the latest development of China-ASEAN relations on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. At 37 past the hour now, turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish lower on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets uh, were reacting to a couple of things uh, that pushed the, uh, the Shanghai Composite Index down by 1.1% and the Shenzhen component by 1.8%. Uh, but it, uh, it is important to note that while the vast majority of stocks were in decline, trading volume was still pretty low. As to the reasons we're looking at trade data, it was a bit better than the markets had expected, but uh, shows both imports and exports remaining fairly soft. Uh, Chinese chip stocks were also hit by more calls from uh, at least one US lawmaker uh, to restrict chip and equipment sales to Chinese businesses. That pushed uh, Hua Hong Semiconductor down by 5.4%. Gigadevice Uh, Another semiconductor maker on the uh, Shanghai exchange was down by 1.6%. In contrast, PetroChina was one of the major gainers uh, for the index in Shanghai, rising 2% after the decision by Saudi Arabia and Russia to keep uh, production curbs in place through the end of this year. And those gains uh, came despite a pullback in the price of crude oil on uh, some worries over seasonal demand and the potential for uh, slumming demand for fuel here in China. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dipped around 1.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei was down around eight-tenths of a percent.
Uh, China's foreign trade in the first eight months of the year was relatively stable compared to the same period of last year. The overall trade volume from January to August came in at just over 27 trillion yuan, down by a tenth of a percent from the same period last year. Yuan-denominated exports rose around eight-tenths of a percent, while yuan-denominated imports declined by 1.3 percent. The trade surplus stood at 3.8 trillion yuan. And for August alone, yuan-denominated trade saw a monthly jump of 3.9 percent, despite slipping 2.5 percent on a yearly basis. Yunnan province is located in the deep southwest of China. Without any coastline, the province has 4,000 kilometers of border neighboring three countries. Uh, to compete with coastal provinces in the east, Yunnan officials are positioning the province as a hub for South and Southeast Asia. Wang Tianyu has more. In southwest China's Yunnan province, nature is very colorful. And in the provincial capital city, Kunming, the air is aromatic. Kunming has a nickname. It is called the City of Flowers. The temperature here is mild in all four seasons, which makes it a perfect place for blossoms. Here, you can buy a bouquet for the price you would normally pay for a single flower elsewhere in the country. Importing fruits from Thailand and exporting flowers to Singapore. This kind of trade is what the Yunnan province has always done in the past few decades. However, the border province has greater ambitions. It dedicated to building itself into a high-quality trading hub facing South and Southeast Asia. The energy trade is one of the sectors seeing profound development. Over these years, we uh, gave foreplay to the unique geological location of Yunnan province, as well as the uh, rich experience and uh, technology and management advantages of CSG in power grid development and we actively promote the power grid interconnection uh, with the neighboring countries. The power grid interconnection that he mentioned involves Vietnam, Laos, and Myanmar. The projects have injected vitality into the energy transition and has improved many local people's livelihoods. And uh, over the past years, all the power volume exchange between uh, our company with neighboring countries, over 90% is uh, clean energy. So the power trade greatly enhanced green clean energy development in the region. Nowadays, Yunnan's circle of trading partners has grown to about 200 countries and regions. Members of the ASEAN are its biggest trading partners. The province will continue to be China's bridge to South and Southeast Asia. That was Wang Tianyu reporting. Chinese General Administration of Customs says the country imported nearly 2 million tons of palm oil from Indonesia in the first seven months of the year. Indonesia accounts for more than 80% of China's imported palm oil. Uh, the palm oil shipped from Indonesia is piped to different factories in Jiangsu province before it's processed to uh, raw materials for daily chemical products. Uh, Gao Zhiyong is vice president of Shanghai Chemical Technology. He says the expanded production of Chinese palm oil processors is driven up the demand for Indonesian palm oil this year. Imports have increased 30% from last year due to people's consumption demands for accommodation, catering, and hotels. Such demands were particularly robust during summer vacation. Data shows that Indonesia exported 16.3 million tons of palm oil in the first half of the year, and that was up 35%, with the export value totaling 14.6 billion U.S. dollars. China's used car dealers are eyeing overseas markets as competition intensifies at home. Uh, Mai Jiaying is export manager of a used car dealership in Foshan. He says their export business has boomed this year, with a sharp rise in demand from Eastern Europe, Central Asia and Africa. We receive export inquiries every week. By August this year, we have already exported more than 600 units. China officially kicked off the export of secondhand cars in 2019, with Beijing, Shanghai and Guangdong among the first batch of 10 regions allowed to conduct such trade. The list has expanded to 44 regions in the country. A survey shows that China exported about 70,000 used cars last year, with the number expected to hit 100,000 this year.
The China International Digital Economy Expo is kicked off in northern China. The expo in Zhengding County focuses on the development of the industrial internet. More than 800 exhibitors, scholars, and entrepreneurs are participating in the expo. More than 30 sideline forums will focus on sectors uh, such as digital finance and artificial intelligence. 300 achievements of the Chinese Academy of Sciences and other universities will debut at the event. The expo is the first national digital economy exhibition approved by the Communist Party of China's Central Committee and the State Council. It's been held in Guiyang four times since it was launched in 2018. Uh, Tencent says other companies could use the large language artificial intelligence model Hunyuan as a new system or as the new system premiered amid a race by tech firms to become China's AI champion. The Chinese tech giant and owner of the WeChat social media platform uh, conducted a demonstration before a live audience in Shenzhen and said Hunyuan had become the foundation of more than 50 of its products and services. Ahun Yuan's debut came after several Chinese tech firms, including Baidu and SenseTime, recently unveiled their own AI models. Tencent says Ahun Yuan has more than 100 billion parameters and was trained with more than 2 trillion tokens, two metrics often used to measure AI power. Uh, Ghana's uh, hiked power prices for the third time this year, and that's hitting consumers and businesses that have already been dealing with economic problems. Residents and enterprises are expressing concerns about the surge in the cost of living, even as the government's struggling to restore fiscal stability and economic growth. Nabil Ahmad Rufai has more. Abdul Rashid Haruna runs a barber's academy in Lashibi on the outskirts of Accra. Keeping the lights on and powering the machinery here means paying for electricity. This month, the government has increased the tariff by almost 5% and Rashid is worried he may not be able to keep up with the hike. We have 2.5 AC, 2, and you can tell it's not easy. Being setting up a place like this, now we are starting. We can't just put them off. Sometimes we have to make the client comfortable, so we need to put it on, whether we are working or not. But with the tariff now, we can't. It's been too much. Before we used to buy at least maybe thousand a month, but now it's two thousand. This is the third time the utility regulator has increased the cost of electricity this year. In twenty twenty three, the electricity tariff has jumped by nearly fifty three percent. When the price of electricity or water goes up, you see the impact trickling down into other sectors of the economy. At this commercial hub in Accra. The cost of goods and services has already begun to shoot up. The utility provider says the price rise is necessary due to the combined effect of local currency depreciation and rising inflation, which is making it more expensive to produce power. Our generators sell to us in dollars and we pay them back in dollars. However, we sell power to our customers in CDs and we collect in CDs. And so when there's a fluctuation in the dollar rate against the city, there's always an issue if the tariff does not reflect that fluctuation. And so that's the problem ECG faces whenever the tariff remains and then the dollar index changes. Still, many businesses that are already struggling with difficult economic conditions want the regulator to consider a lower tariff adjustment. If you can subsidize our uh, utility, you can subsidize it for us a bit, it will really help us because we are really going through a lot. Yeah, they can, if they can do something about it, business like this, it will help me a lot. But that may not happen anytime soon. The government is implementing an IMF bailout condition, which requires it to increase revenue generation through taxes and hikes in utility tariffs. So Rashid is now considering passing the extra cost onto customers to help trim off excess losses. That was Nabil Ahmed Rufai reporting. Just ahead, details of the Hangzhou Asian Games torch relay. The Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world. 48 past now and with sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with the Hangzhou Asian Games. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the Games. 
Hangzhou organizers of the games have revealed the details of the torch relay. A launch ceremony will take place near Hangzhou's West Lake and the torch will pass through several cities before returning to Hangzhou on September 20th. The relay will feature over 2,000 torchbearers including athletes, celebrities and those who have contributed significantly to the games. The torchbearers range from 14 to 84 years old with diverse representation including grassroots representatives, sports workers, ethnic minorities and dis abled individuals. 30 of them were chosen through an online event called Race to be an Asian Games Torchbearer. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we go back to 1990 when China hosted the Asian Games for the first time. Chiju has more. The 11th edition of the Asian Games took place in Beijing and marked the first large-scale international sports event hosted by China. The capital city built 20 new sports venues, including the iconic Worker Stadium. The build-up to Beijing 1990 saw the death of Olympic Council of Asia President Sheikh Fahad al-Ahmad al-Sabah during the Gulf War. A record 6,100 athletes from 36 countries and regions competed in 27 sports. Chinese Taipei returned to the Asian Games after a 12-year absence. Wushu and four other sports made their debut, while baseball and tennis were demonstration sports. Pan Pan the Panda served as a mascot. Seven world records, six in archery and one in cycling, were broken at Beijing 1990. Chinese athletes Xu Haifeng, Gao Ming and Zhang Rongfang lit the quadrant. China topped the medal table with 183 gold medals, taking up 60% of the total on offer. Shen Jianqian alone claimed five gold in swimming events, the most by any individual athlete in Beijing. The Games served as a precursor to China's future development in the sporting arena, as the country successfully won the bid to host the 2008 Olympics. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Xi China defeated Chinese Taipei 3-0 to win the men's team title at the Asian Table Tennis Championships in Pyeongchang, South Korea. They have also secured a qualification for the event in the Paris Olympic Games in 2024. Wednesday's title marked the 23rd time that the men's team has won the tournament. They also join in on the success of the Chinese women's team, who also won the event this year. In tennis, China's Zhang Qinwen has been knocked out of the US Open. Second seed Arena Sabalenka defeated Zhang in the quarterfinals 6-1-6-4. Sabalenka now advances to the semis. Zhang reflected on what she could do differently if she faces Sabalenka in the future. I think the next time if I have to play against her, that I have to deal with uh, especially the return, how to handle it, her service game. Yes, and... If you just talk about result, of course, it's not bad for me. But honestly, uh, in my mind, I really want to go too farther. Madison Keys has also advanced to the semi-finals after defeating Marketa Vondrusova. On the men's side, Daniil Medvedev defeated Andrei Rublev in straight sets to advance to the semis. He touched on the extreme heat at the tournament this year. It was brutal. Uh, the only good thing I see in these conditions is that both suffer. So usually there is not one that suffer. So it's tough for both of us. Carlos Alcaraz is also through after defeating Alexander Zverev. The semi-finals for the FIBA Basketball World Cup are set. Following Wednesday's action in Melilla, four teams remain in the competition. The USA, Germany, Serbia and Canada. Serbia will take on Canada on Friday, while the USA and Germany will lock horns later on the same day. In football news, Spain's World Cup winning forward Jenny Hermoso has accused Spanish FA president Luis Rubiales of sexual assault. The accusation comes after the widely reported incident which saw Rubiales kiss Hermoso on the lips after the Women's World Cup final, which Spain won 1-0. In addition to facing criminal charges, the suspended Rubiales remains the subject of ongoing probes by Spain's top sport court and by world governing body FIFA. On August 28th, Spanish prosecutors offered Hermoso the opportunity to file a complaint against him. Hermoso had 15 days to formalize the complaint and did so in person this week. And finally, promoter Frank Warren has launched an appeal to have Daniel Dubois' world heavyweight title defeat to Alexander Usyk declared a no contest. He is also hoping to force an immediate rematch. Dubois floored Usyk in the fifth round of their fight in Poland. 
However, it was declared a low blow, giving the Ukrainian time to recover before he went on to stop the Londoner in the ninth round. The World Boxing Association has confirmed receipt of the appeal and will proceed with a review as per the regulations. And thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a laboratory protecting China's irreplaceable cultural relics. The US Open Grand Slam tennis tournament has been incredible to watch this year for a few reasons. Join us for this week's episode of Sideline Story, where we'll be taking a closer look at the excitement. We'll examine the top record-breaking performers from China and the return of Novak Djokovic, as well as his emerging rivalry with Carlos Alcaraz. Be sure not to miss our US Open chat this week on your destination for sports news, analysis and discussions, Sideline Story. Now at 54 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. And Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. Duan Huang has opened a lab to safeguard the precious Morgao grottoes and ancient ruins that have stood there for a millennium. The lab mimics all the wild weather that these ancient treasures endure, all in the name of gathering crucial data. It's the very first time China is using this technology to figure out how to protect cherished cultural gems. Ding Suyue spoke to the researchers. The rammed earth technique has been used for thousands of years to build dwellings, palaces, and temples in China. So these earthen ruins, ranging from the Stone Age to the more modern era, serve as a significant cultural resource. This highlights the importance of protecting our precious cultural heritage. And now, the protective process is being propped up by modern technology. As one lab can carry out research, into how such ruins are exposed to different meteorological conditions each year across the country. Our lab cabin can simulate most of the meteorological conditions in China. In terms of earthen ruins, we chose the Soyang city ruins to represent all ruins in a very dry area. Meanwhile, the eastern royal tombs of the Qin dynasty represent an area that is quite humid. And to simulate more damp conditions, we used a sample from the Sanxingdui ruins. A set of nine light slides along a curved track fixed onto the roof. The brightness and temperature can be adjusted from low to high to simulate various times of day from sunrise to sunset. For the first time, a multi-field coupling lab has been put into use for the preservation of cultural relics in Dunhuang, Gansu. The lab spans an area of 16,000 square meters. It consists of three lab cabins that can simulate different weather conditions throughout the year, such as windy, snowy, and raining days. They are used to simulate the various conditions ancient ruins are exposed to in order to collect useful data for future research. We can simulate the snowfall and the process of freezing and thawing during summer. We can also simulate rain or sunshine in winter. We can add one influencing factor or multiple factors at the same time to conduct the simulation experiments. Traditional labs can only research a few samples and are limited in terms of the duration of their experiments. So the results can easily deviate from those seen in real-time environment. The new lab is almost as high as a two-story residential building. It features a huge space that allows tons of samples from the grottoes or earthen ruins to undergo these coupling experiments. Thanks to cutting-edge technology, these projects aimed at protecting China's grottoes and archaeological sites have transformed from rescue operations to preventive protection. That was Ding Siyue on a lab in Dunhuang researching the protection of ancient ruins. The 11th China Folk Art Festival is scheduled to take place from September 25th to 28th in Lushan, Sichuan province. The festival is expected to showcase diverse folk performances from across the country. This festival promises to be a grand celebration of traditional Chinese folk art featuring over 50 distinct regional performance styles. The styles include crosstalk, sketch comedy, clapper ballads, sujo ballad singing, and the storytelling from Shanxi. Much that was uh, Yang Guang reporting. 
58 past the hour in Beijing's at 23 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, thunder showers in a high of 30. Chongqing's down to 27, then sunny in 37. Last is 10 this evening, then overcast in 22. Hong Kong has showers overnight, 27 degrees, thunder showers, and 30 on Friday. Elsewhere, Tokyo's at 23 overnight, then it's getting rainfall in 29. Islamabad's down to 23. Tomorrow, sunny in 37. Bangkok's 26 overnight, thunderstorms in 33 on Friday. Uh, in Africa, Nairobi's getting showers in 25. And finally, to o- Oceania, Sydney's at 21 this evening, then scattered showers in 26 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the host nation of the ASEAN Summit says Southeast Asian countries seek new avenues of cooperation with China. And European officials say last month was the hottest August on record globally. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese Folk Tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen.